We are getting near the end of our It's Time series. We're going to be jumping back into 1 Corinthians immediately following. Um, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be going through the last half of that chapter in our, um, in our series. Today's topic is called It's Time, A Life of Faith. A Life of Faith. And uh, faith is, is one of those words. One, one thing I've learned about this whole series before I get into it is that the whole series, whenever you say a life of, we, I, I think the one thing you've heard me say over and over and over again is, you just can't do it at the last minute. I mean, you can start closer to the last minute, but you just can't have anything of great value immediately. It just doesn't work that way. And so if you want a life of health, then you need to live healthy over a long period of time. Uh, if you want a life of riches, then you need to work on that and work hard on that. Um, or somebody has to, and then they have to give it to you. But in the end, somebody in the end did something for this. So when we think about a life of generosity, it's a life of generosity, not a moment of generosity. When it's a life of prayer, it's actually a life of prayer, not a moment of prayer. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of us give up on the concept of prayer is we're so immediately oriented that we pray, and if we don't really see anything, then we wonder what was the purpose of that. What's the value of that? It feels more like we're just talking into the air. But a life of prayer, you begin to see and, and, and just recognize God's hand and his plan and his purpose. So that life of prayer, a life of ministry. There's a difference between doing a moment of ministry, doing periodic moments of ministry, and a life of ministry, a life of devotion and dedication. One brings a harvest. The other one brings a handful. And if we're honest, most of us want a harvest um, and then we get frustrated when we have a handful, and I think it's good for us to stop and say, listen, in that famous old adage, right, what are the two best times to plant a tree? You know, the first one is like 50 years ago, and the next best time, well, it should actually be almost 59 years ago, but we usually say 50 years ago or today, and you get the point. Point is, if you've missed your life of gratitude, if you've missed your life of prayer, if you've missed your life of ministry, then the good news is that God is gracious and He is kind and He has given us today. And so, for some of us, maybe today is that time where you draw a line and say, Here we are, um, April 29th, I think, April 29th, uh, 2018. That was the time when me and my wife, where I decided I was going to finally say, No. I'm going to take seriously and intentionally my, today, my faith. Because yet once again, um, I went to the Bible to look for five tips so that you can live out your faith. And God said to me, here's what I really got a sense of. I mean, I don't use that lightly. Um, I, I didn't give you a book like that. Like it doesn't have, by, by God's design, he didn't just have at the back. I mean, we've created these. But like, you know, key texts about, here they are right here on boldness and on, on bread and on what it means to be a brother or what it means to be called. All they did there was they just went through the Bible and they found those words and they put them together. But the Bible itself was never intended to be a series of, of tips and techniques so that you in your moment of X or Y problem that you could just go to it and apply it and then walk off and say, okay, I did it. Now, the Bible comes to us in a series of consecutive stories about people who lived their lives, and it records their failures, it records their struggles, it records both the upside and the downside of many of the aspects, not all, but many of the aspects of their lives, and then right in that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John section, 
there's one that does it perfectly. His name is Jesus. And he is the example that not only we follow, but we worship. Right? There's a difference. Um, thanks, Abraham. Really, man, you gave me some good things I could learn from. Thank you, Jesus, for doing it perfectly. Hey, Moses, loved your leadership ideas. That was good. Some of those things were really, really helpful. Hey, Jesus, thank you for just doing it perfectly. Where you're not just an example of how to do it, but you're the reason why. Right? Jesus is the reason why. And so faith matters. And I'm not trying to be that guy this morning, you know, that guy that just loves to be nitpicky on words. I'm really not trying to be that guy. But at times, I think it's important to say, let's be careful with the words that we use. Sometimes it's just good to let them slide. You know, we're just friends hanging out. Don't be critical of every word I say. Man, I really love my wife and I love tacos. Oh, hey, seriously? Like, be careful with how you use the word love. I hear people say this all the time. Be really careful how you use the word love. Ah, I was in this relationship, and I just used love, the love word too, too soon. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I guess it's good for us to recognize that there needs to be, in our language, like varying degrees of the same word, love, tacos, love, Andrea. Love, Jesus, right? That's the way it should be. Sometimes, you just, sorry, it's, it's the language. I don't want to give a complete lesson on how language works, but language actually develops over time. In every culture, words become used in different ways. So we, we develop this word, door, and we mean it's a door. It's a, an, an entrance or an exit, a thing that you can go in and out of. And then somebody goes, you know what? We could also use that word door as a metaphor. Did you know that? So it could actually be like a door of opportunity or a door of success. And then you've got the, the word police that go, wait a second, how dare you take that beautiful word named door and actually use it metaphorically? No, it needs to be. And so there are those that just want language. They dig their heels in. They don't want language to ever move. I can't believe you're using that word. I don't think, I don't believe you understand what that word means, right? So I don't want to be that guy that we never let the word extend, but sometimes it's good to stop and say, Hey, can we just for a moment make sure that we're speaking the same language? So when I say the word faith, that you don't bring like your idea of faith. And when I'm, when I'm preaching, hopefully what I'm doing is going to the word and saying, this is what the Bible says about faith. Now, you and I might have different ways that we use the word, but when we all come together, like at this special moment, and we look at what the Bible says about faith, then we're all lining up. A famous example of this is the word church. So do you go to church or are you the church? And when I, was a, when I was a freshman, probably a sophomore, yes, maybe even a junior in college, this became a real big deal to me. No, 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 we don't go to church. We are the church. We go to a building, but we are the church. Oh, chill, right? Like, dude, relax. I just was telling you where I was. Why did I get this speech about language? Because I don't think we're fully appreciating the concept of church and you're throwing it around so loosely. Okay, you asked me where I was, I said church. Do I need to use the word build? I mean, right? So we're not, by the way, I'm not, I'm not describing that. I mean, that exists. But there is also a problem for some of us that literally that is probably the best description of, of church. I went to church. Like, you, you, you really, I don't even know if, if you see yourself as the church. And so church really is a place that you go to. And you could even give the time or times. 
And so church is a location far more than it is a way of life, if we're going to be honest. To try to make everybody say that would be, um, would, would be rather foolish. And so for many of us, church is a place that we go on Sunday, and then these are the times that I choose to go. That's probably a pretty accurate description. But for those of us who love the Lord and want to serve him and want to live our lives as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, well, then church is a place that we go. I go to church. I've grown up since my sophomore year. Shocking to some of you, but I've grown up since my sophomore year, and so I go to church. And then I, I, I really am part of the church. I'm part of the body of Christ. And so it's both for me. That word faith is fascinating. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to grab Drew's script is because there's a couple of things you said I want to talk about, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting because how many of you have said this? And again, I'm not trying to be overly critical, but I just want, just for a moment, I want us to just think through what we're saying. Because what if it actually matters? How many of you know of someone and you think about it this way? I've got a friend and they're a believer, but they're not a follower of Jesus. I hear that all the time. My parents, they're believers, they're just not followers. I want you to just honestly think that through. Think that through. They're a believer, they're just not a follower. Usually, and this is part of the problem, is we are so obsessed, and, and partly rightly, and then partly Obviously, I use the word obsessed for a reason, a little too much, with salvation, heaven, and not, actually most of us, not going to hell. That whenever we think about that word believer, and a part of that is truly the eternal destination of our soul, either to heaven or to hell. That so many of us, what we're trying to say is, my parents are going to heaven, I promise, I promise. They just don't live like it in any way, shape, or form. Like, you can't really tell by how they live their lives that they are followers of Jesus in, in any way. They're nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not nice. They're very kind. But, but they really don't actively pursue Jesus. They don't actively live like him. They don't follow him. They don't seek his instruction. And they don't desire in their lives in any way, shape, or form to obey him. But they go to church, like occasionally they go to church. But in the end, I want you to believe that they're saved. Like they're saved, right? And that's what we usually mean. I get it. I think about a lot of people that I love, and I could easily say, if you catch me off guard, they're a believer. I don't know if they're a follower, but they're a believer. I just want you to think about that a little bit. I would tell you this. I don't think the Bible talks like that. Like if you want to say, yeah, but I've got an understanding that is, I'm not even saying better. I've got an understanding. I think the Bible really does describe it, maybe not exactly like this. I'm not asking, can any of us stand in God's place and call it exactly the way it is? No, the answer to that question is no. None of us can. None of us can. But the Bible seems to describe rather clearly. Don't even need the word rather there. The Bible describes clearly a life of faith as being a natural result of an encounter with God where someone says, I choose to believe, to put my trust, to put my hope in Jesus, in Yahweh God. That's what I do right now, is I'm, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my hope, I'm putting my faith in Him. For what? Everything. 
Like at the end of time, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. So I'm not going to kind of, hey, let's gather up all these cards, at least the ones that matter to me, the ones that I'm involved in. I'm going to need them, have them in my back pocket so that when I approach Jesus, I can say, listen, like, hey, I want to thank you what you did, that little thing on the cross. That was sweet. But actually, I got some backup stuff. I got some backup stuff right here. I was in the duck blind ministry. And I was killing ducks in the name of Jesus. And so I know that that, that that cross was good, but hey, I got some ducks, right? So you can literally, and there's some really, really, really like wonderful ministries. I mean, the duck blind ministry is actually not an opportunity just to kill ducks, but actually to do it with other believers and with other believers who maybe are engaging with people who don't know. So it's about evangelism. It's got some good stuff in there. And I'm going to bring that to Jesus. So my hope is found in, in what Jesus did. And then I kind of filled in the gaps where, you know, he didn't quite get the job done. No, I put my faith in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Like I, I put my trust in Jesus. Not that I believe Jesus exists, but no, that I, I put my trust in him, my salvation in him. So I'm not banking on my good looks or my good works. I'm banking on Jesus. That's my bank. I'm banking on him. That's what it means to have faith. So Drew, Drew made this comment. I don't even know if it's on here somewhere. I thought it was really kind of interesting. And yet I don't even know if I disagree with them because the Bible talks like this a little bit. But Drew made the statement, and maybe I can't even find it on here, but it was not, we, we, we put our belief in Jesus, but not only our belief in Jesus, but also our trust. I think that's how you said it. That we not only believe in him, but we also put in our trust. The Bible actually even talks somewhat like that. But what it really means by that is that our belief is also our trust. It's, it's not even A and B. To believe is to trust. To believe is to trust in that sense. To believe is to put our hope in. Believe and faith, same concept. The belief, you just used the word as a noun. So to believe is usually the verb and the noun is usually faith. So believing is, in a way we can describe it, it is faithing, it is living out, it is an active participation in the reality of who God is. That's what faith is. If I were to say to you, like, I believe in exercise, some of you could go, well, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. Well, I may, it may not look like it, but let me tell you what I do. And then I, I give you this long regimen of, of, of exercise and how it's fit into my life. And you go, wow, okay, you do a great job hiding it, right? But no, you really do. Like you believe in it and you participate in it. I really believe in healthy eating. You might look and go, I cannot tell by looking at you that healthy eating is a priority. I can't see it in any way, shape, or form. See, what, what the Bible really does is it teaches us rather naturally that to believe or to have faith just naturally spills into a life of it, faith. So I'm not talking about whether or not someone, by the way, might be struggling with their faith. And if that's what you mean by I know they're a believer but they're not following right now and what you're saying is, man, they're struggling and say, hey, I've got a friend who's a believer. He's really struggling right now. I've got a friend who's a follower of Jesus Christ. They're really struggling in that journey right now. They'd say, that would be legit. But to have this blanket category 
of believers who aren't followers, like somehow, like that's in any way, shape, or form, like normal, or um, or at some realm, I, I even get concerned about even being possible. I just don't see it when I read the Word of God. In actuality, like I, I hear Jesus say things like, like if you do not follow me, that when the day comes, that salvation day, you know, when we meet Jesus, he's going to say things like, like I don't know you. Like I don't know you. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't say that to scare you. Interestingly enough, I say it actually to give you encouragement and hope. Because I know a lot of people that just wonder whether or not they're saved. I know a lot of people that wonder whether or not they're following Jesus. And I think it should be a lot easier to see. I really do. Like, I believe that that by the work that we do, we actually gain evidence of the hope that we have in the reality of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. We live in a time when there is so much doubt and there is so much skepticism, and in part because we have unintentionally, unknowingly severed the relationship between the active faith that we have and trusting and hoping and believing in Jesus. And it literally should be two sides to one coin. That's how it's described in the Bible. So faith is not wishful thinking. Faith isn't positive thinking. Faith isn't hoping for something. Faith is not just an intention. No, faith is concrete. It's always described as concrete. Look in the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. I love that... Um, in our, in our uh, time of prayer this morning, Drew really caused us to go back and to think about some things, and I did that. I didn't know exactly where he was going with the, with the prayer this morning, and it was kind of fun because I began to think about the people in my life that God used. And I, I thought about them for a moment, but I just I couldn't talk to God about them without saying thank you. Like, thank you, God, for my mom and my dad. Thank you, God, for my wife. Thank you, God, for one of my mentors, Mark. Like, thank you, God, for even the, the people right now on staff and at this church that I look up to. Like, my eyes were drawn upward, weren't they? Look how Paul says, look in verse 16, this just makes sense. But, thanks be to God. I love how Paul always goes back to God as the primary source the one who starts all things. When we even talk about faith, this is the problem with the power of positive thinking because if you look at it, the power of positive thinking is, I can do this. The power of positive thinking is, it is going to get better. The power of positive thinking is being optimistic. I really think that we can. Do you notice the pronouns? But genuine faith is drawn to a different object. The faith in God draws us to a different direction. The power of positive thinking is not, I can do this. The power of positive thinking, actually, that has faith at its root is, I believe that God is going to accomplish everything that God said he's going to accomplish. Do you get the difference in that? I believe God is going to do exactly what he says, and that's what Paul is giving thanks for. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. I just had to stop and thank God that somehow, somehow, 
And it wasn't me. If you think about this, there's this church, struggling church in Corinth. And Paul loves them. It's like a family member, right? And Paul just loves them and cares for them. And Paul looks at, at all of everybody else in his ministry. It's interesting. He says, he says about the Philippians that Timothy just loves them. Now, where does that heart come from? I remember uh, people coming to this church, and I, I remember wondering whether or not Scott and Ryan Irwin would really love Sunnybrook the way I do. They're from the great state of California, and they love California. And, and everywhere they've gone, I know that they have loved God's people, but I remember just praying, God, I'm not asking for Scott and Ryan to just kind of connect. I'm not asking them to consider this to be a place where they could raise their kids like I prayed down deep, like, God, help them to love, love this place and these people. And I, I can be sometimes guilty. I can see you back there. I can sometimes be guilty going, hey, thanks for doing that. Or I should be going, thanks for doing that. Like, thank you, God, for doing that. Because I know what some of you are thinking. No, we did that. Look how awesome we are, Jim. Like one of us, Scott and Ryan, love us. Just look at us. And I'm going, no, seriously, let's look at us. Seriously, let's look at us. Why does Scott and Ryan love us? Why? Can I tell you a real part of this? Because God has put it into their heart. I remember when you, young couple right there, Mark and Nicole, when you started coming to this church and I knew that you were always connected really where you were Man, I hope that they learn to love this place. At every 101 class, I hope that you learn to love this place. When you're new and you're young and you start coming, I hope you learn to love this place. I really hope that you learn to love this place because I love this place. And so here's the danger is I start going, how can we be attractive? Come on, everybody, get on your best. We have visitors, right? Like mom and dad. We've got visitors. Everybody be on your best. College students will be here in a few months, right? A whole new bunch of them. Let's all be on our best so that they might love this place. And you realize that, like there's, there's like things that are completely outside of our control. For those of you that have kids, you, you get this because you send your kids to school and your number one thought is, I sure hope somebody likes them. And you hear that they have friends and then you show up and you meet like your second grade teacher and for some reason, beyond your children's ability, she loves them. And, and for those of you that are parents, you know what I'm talking about. When someone loves your child, you're just like, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that you love my child in spite of my child. <laughs> Thank you for loving my child. I, I, I can't make you like them. I can't make you love them. And they love them. See, that's, that really kind of shows us, like, what does this have to do with faith? Everything. Like, this is what Paul kind of finds at its very, its very root. Like, what Titus is doing, this life that he is living, is this incredible response to who Jesus Christ is. And act as, as he is actively engaged in all of the ministries that would have existed at the Corinthian church, God is working into his heart this natural connection and development so that it's as, just as, it's as, it's as normal as walking, this new faith that Titus has. And so Paul stops for a moment, and he thanks God who put in the heart of Titus the same love that he has for them. Verse 17, 
This is what it looks like, by the way. This is where faith has this outward expression. For he not only accepted our appeal, hey, Titus, go love the Corinthians, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Yeah, Paul, no, you don't even need to ask. Yeah, I went to Corinth. I love them. I'm in. I'm in. And Paul would go, like, aren't they lovable? And Timothy would say, yeah, I mean, I think they're great. I'm going to Philippi. Like, that's where I'm going. That's where God put it in my heart. See, like, do you see this bottom row of blue Ghana and Haiti and Japan and Mexico and Nicaragua and Papua New Guinea and Poland and Uganda? And and the beautiful thing is sometimes I I get really nervous that you're not going to love them. There's Dallas over there. I hope you're going to, oh, junior high chaos. There's junior high kids. I really hope you love them. Like, I really hope you care about them. There's our 146 ministry orphans. I really hope that you care about them. Man, Stillwater Life Services, man, I really hope that you, Stillwater Cares, I really hope that you, and I love this, the example that we actually see here is a life of faith, is that as we actively live out our lives, as we put our hope and our trust in what Jesus Christ has done, we actively get engaged in what he is doing, and we are trusting him every step of the way, and as we are trusting him, he is providing proof that what we are doing is real, that what we are doing is worth it. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow. Verse 18, with Titus, God is doing this amazing work, but with him, we are also sending the brother. I mean, there's a real technical name for somebody, right? I have no idea who it is. Scholars wonder if it's like Apollos. But it says the brother who is famous among all, so famous we have no idea what his name is, famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. And God forgive me for those times where I have described God's grace and I have forgot the fact that it is an act. For God so loved us, he acted. I don't just go, God loves us, have no idea what it looks like. No, I do know exactly what it looks like. I think of so many ways in which God demonstrated his great love for us. And can we talk about now the faith, the belief, the hope, the trust that we now put back in him. And so what Paul is saying here is, is that notice this, there's this group of people who are carrying out the act of grace that is being ministered by us. We are continuing on. Our lives of faith are continuing on trusting the one who came and died for us so that we might share with those who do not know or those who know and need us to encourage them the greatness of our God. See, that's what a life of faith is. It's not a trick or a plan or a strategy so that you can get more of what you want. No, it's actually a life completely surrendered so that God might receive all that he wants. In us, my whole life, and through us, all of the lives, all of the opportunities that God puts before me. He continues on. Um, Well, let me finish that. Ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Notice again the demonstration. Verse 20, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. So not only the act of giving, as you know, there is a gift that is being exchanged here earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but 
Paul seems to see that what we all have that has been given to us is a gift, and therefore we're not going to hold on to this gift, this gift that Jesus Christ has given us, this gift of faith, this gift of ministry, this gift of a relationship with God, this gift of the kingdom that is now living both in us and also through us is something that is being seen by everybody else around us. Yeah, there really isn't like a biblical category for secret Christians, Therefore, I don't quite understand what it means to believe and not follow. I think there are some other questions that we might want to ask. As James says, do you really believe? Like, are you really trusting in Jesus? That when he says, you really do trust him? And Paul is saying, yes, this is exactly what is happening. Verse 21, for we aim for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. So many times we talk about like only God's opinion matters. Not true. Now, God's opinion matters more than anyone else's. That's a fact. God is God. Therefore, God knows all, and God's opinion matters because it cannot be tricked. God's opinion cannot be somehow altered or seduced. No way. God is the perfect knower and the perfect worker of all of these things. But over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul and the other writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament descri describe what's going on also in the sight of one another. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you'll have no idea who anybody any really is in terms of their faith. Only God can know. Now, only God can ultimately know, but Jesus says, by their what? By their fruit. By their acts of grace you will actually know whether they are mine. This isn't some crazy guessing game that only God can know. No, I think it's good and even humbling for us to know that only God can know. So boy, if you're, start, if you're trying to speak like somehow you know exactly what your best friend's doing or you know exactly how your mom and dad and where they're going, if you're acting like somehow you're in God's place, hey, whoa, 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 chill. You don't get it. You are stepping into an area that is not rightfully yours. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that our life of faith should be seen, most of all by God, but also in the sight of everyone around us. Verse 22, and with them, this, this, this group of men who are living out their faith that God has put in them, that is an extension of the act of grace that God First start, start started in Jesus Christ, and with them we are sending our brother whom we have whom we have often look at this tested and found earnest. Like the Bible actually describes a faith that is tested. Because when faith is tested, you can really find out whether or not it's real. Faith. Because it's an action. It's, 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 it's something that is an active participatory word in the actions and in the plans of God. Um, that, that's why when we talk about faith, it's the faith that is described in the Bible. So if you say, here's how I'm living my life because I really think God will, then you and I can actually go back and say, well, is what you're thinking God will do, is that actually found in here? Or is that just something that somebody told you? Is that just something Jim said? Or is that something that is actually grounded in God's word? Because I can say some pretty cool things. Some pretty, um, man, that sounded good the way that you worded that. But if it's not in here, at best, it's cool and incredibly temporary. But when someone speaks, 
And they talk about the promises of God. Like that way of living can truly be trusted, can truly be lived out. That's why we desire so much to wean you off of our wit and wisdom onto the word and to the spirit of God so that you cannot be deceived, so that you can know for sure, so that even should Jim get it wrong, the hope that you placed in Jesus Christ will never, ever, ever be proved as vain. You get the difference? I could get it wrong. God's word could not. Your mom and dad could get it wrong. The word of God cannot. God forbid, and by his grace may it never be, Sunnybrook could get it wrong. But God's word will not. And a life of faith is able to recognize that and discern it. All of this testing language, it's really interesting. It says now, not only was it tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now even more earnest than ever because of his great confidence that he has in you. See, a lot of our confidence is lost because why? Well, because we're believing, but we're really not following. Like, I kind of believe in gravity. I just am never going to really, like, act as though I understand it. I kind of believe in something, but I'm really not going to follow it through to the end. And so it's more of, a, of, a, of an idea or a possibility than a way in which you are truly living your life. Now, what I find fascinating is this, is that no other real area of life do I know anybody that just takes intentions as really making, like, as really counting for something. I don't know. You might be able to help me with this. Maybe there is a place in town that, that pays you for work that you intend to do. I mean, honestly, if you guys go, I don't know what you're talking about. Where I work, you don't have to do anything. You just have to intend to do something. Like, you, I haven't gone to work in two years. And whenever they ask me about it, I'm going, no, but I'm planning on, I planned on coming in all of those days. Oh, okay. Mark you down as a present. You know of a place that does that? Do you know of a, of a, of a, of a university that, like, gives you credit for work that you really planned on doing? Really meant to get that paper in. I was really thinking about getting that paper in. Like, I really, I even believed I was going to get it done. I was one of those believers but not follower-throughers. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Were you also planning on coming to class? Yes, well, I will mark you down as present. You know anybody else that does that? Like, even in relationships. Like, and, and my wife loves me, and she has to give me grace. But I can never go, hey, babe, like, I just want you to imagine that we go on date night regularly. Just, just imagine this. Because in my heart, babe, we're on date night right now. There we are. Date night. Yeah, she'll look at me and she'll go, listen, she, she would even say something like this. I really do think you have the best of intentions. Like, I really do. But you're not following through. And in that moment, she does extend grace. That's why for those of you that are going, you're telling me i got to do this perfectly? I will never say that you ever have to do anything perfectly because you can't. God's grace supplies the gap. He does. God's grace supplies the gap. Like my wife is kind even though that I, she doesn't give me credit for pretend date night. I don't get credit for pretend flowers with my kids. I don't get credit for pretend time. 
Like we don't get credit in our community for having a heart that really wants to serve them. You know that, right? And we can't have the best of intentions of, man, love to have a children's area over there. That, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool to have one? Let's all pretend it over there. Like, that's not the way life is. In no area is that the way life is. And then we step into church. Oh, it's pretend land. It's true. It's just true. I'm not, I'm not critiquing anyone. Right now I'm just complaining about my own struggles. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about my ability to somehow fail to recognize how naturally the connection between faith and life, between what I believe and what I do, that not only do I believe, but I trust. Actually, a better way to say that is I believe by trusting. Verse 23, for as for Titus, he is my partner, because he's right there, and my fellow worker, because he's working for your benefit. And as for you, brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Look at verse 24, this, this life of faith. What does it say? So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you in these men. I was doing some, some premarital counseling this week with a young couple, and what I thought was really interesting, we're just kind of talking about what's going on in their lives, and, and she said, I just started crying as I saw all of these ministries come in. And so I said to her, well, we just made those up. We're really not doing any of that. No, I didn't. I, we are doing all of that, right? What, what moved her? What moved you last week? At the idea of it or it? Answer, it. And therefore, that life of ministry, what I want you to hear this morning is this. Like, God is worthy of you putting your faith in him. Like, God will not let you down. Like, God will be faithful in everything. God will be faithful at that last moment when you meet Jesus. Jesus, his life is worth putting your hope and trust in. Faith really has these two components. I just want to say this real quickly so we're all clear about how faith works. Faith has an invisible component. There is an invisibleness to it. Not pretend, but there are things that exist that we cannot see. And faith is described like that. There is a concept of faith. There is faith that is not seen, but I'm going to add a word here, yet. That's what faith is. Faith is a confidence. Faith is a trust, a belief, and a hope. That if I let go of something, it's not going to just hang in midair. And that if I let go of it, it's not going to break. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't think. Yes, it still works, right? Like I totally believed. I totally had faith that if I dropped it, the case that I bought and the special glass beat that I put on top, all of that was going to keep it safe. And my hope and my trust actually worked do you hope Jesus will take care of your sin problem the answer is yes do you trust that Jesus will take care of your sin problem yes so much so that you'll trust him with other areas of your life like putting others in front of you like storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven like turning the other cheek like praying for your enemies 
Like not being worried about what you're going to eat or drink, but trusting God to provide. See, do you trust Jesus like that? And the answer for many of us is, yes, kind of. And I go, I know, I know. Just like everything that's worthy in life, worthwhile in life, there is this not yet seen part. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. That's, that's, that's that, that kind of that, I really do believe one day I'm going to see Jesus. I really do have faith one day that I'm going to see Jesus and my sin problem is going to be taken care of. Like I really do have faith in those things. There is a not seen part, but faith also has a visible component. Faith has a visible component because faith has to be seen. Hebrews chapter 11, so same chapter, right? I could have gone to James 2. I will show you by faith by my works. It doesn't say my faith is created by my works, or even my salvation is created. No, 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 no. We're saved by grace through faith. That's what we prayed. That's why we're thankful to God first and foremost. But look at what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says. By faith offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith. If you were to say to Noah, hey Noah, do you, do you have faith in God? That whole flood thing? Noah would go, yeah, look at the boat. Oh, you built a boat too. Yeah, what do you think I was going to do? Tread water? I had faith. Look at my boat. Moses demonstrated his faith by many things. Abraham demonstrated his faith by, read Hebrews 11, by, read Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses, by faith, a whole list of people, by faith. And then there is this, this seeable part. It is us living out in the seeable world that which cannot yet be fully seen, which all lands up in the beautiful hands and feet and life of Jesus. One of my favorite statements about belief is actually found in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let me close with this. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, believe in God Believe also in me. You believe in God, right? You believe that God exists. You believe that God is out there. I'm telling you, that's a good thing to do. It's good for you to believe in God. Let me tell you this. I need you to also believe in me. Believe that I am the way and the truth and the life. Believe that your life, when you build it upon my teachings, has like eternal significance and power. Believe that the ministries that you do, believe that the prayers that you say are actually answered because of the work that I have done. Believe that the sacrifices that you make, time and energy and resources, literally find meaning and purpose in the continued work of Jesus Christ. So that's a beautiful thing. I'm not trying to cause you to question whether or not you've been working hard enough for Jesus. No, that's really not what faith is about. Faith is believing that Jesus has worked so well and so perfectly that our work is just a natural and beautiful and wonderful response to his work. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done in Jesus and what a privilege it is to respond. Thank you for his faith by which we are saved and by our faith 
in him through which we are saved by grace. And Father, may our lives be a natural result. May you test, may others test and find us, find us earnest in caring for our community, in loving our families, in spreading the gospel in all places. God, may we have examples just like described here, some of us not even knowing others or their names, but the ministry that is taking place for your glory, others' benefit, and for our joy. God, you are good. And so we thank you for the work that you've begun, for the work that you are doing, and the work that you will finish. And all God's people said, you want to continue this faith conversation about actively participating in what God has done and is doing, we would love to continue it. If not, God bless, go live out your lives of faith.